Well, hello everyone and welcome to another podcast with the Free Speech Union. I'm sitting down with a government employee who has run into a little bit of trouble around their use of speech. You would have heard about this as we discussed it in our newsletter, but uh, this particular advisor has had some correspondence received from a very senior ministry official uh, in her engagements with external um, commentators on gender issues. She used the term male-bodied in reference to transgender women, and that has set off quite the furore, as that was uh, apparently appalling and shocking to her colleagues around here. So we're sitting down with this advisor today. Uh, This is a a conversation where we're not going to be naming the ministry or the advisor for uh, for confidentiality reasons, but we thought her story was quite important. So, hey, welcome to the conversation. It's great to have you. Thank you very much. So would you mind just starting uh, by explaining the situation? What what was the context uh, where you used this shocking term, mailed body? Why were you discussing this? And was it something to do with your role in the ministry? Uh, no, not specifically. Uh, Inside Out had been invited into the ministry to give a talk about how to be a good ally to the LGBTQIA plus community. And... Um, I attended that event along with quite a lot of other people from the ministry. And I was a little bit perturbed by some of the comments that were made in it. I thought some of them were factually inaccurate and some of them I just disagreed with. They were based obviously on gender ideology that I um, I find a little bit problematic. So at the end of the meeting, I asked if there was time for questions because the, the time had already overrun and... Um, The presenter originally said no, but she could take questions afterwards. But the deputy chief executive did allow me to ask a question. Um, And my question related to some remarks that the presenter had made during the session, which was about encouraging people to talk about same gender attraction rather than same sex attraction. Um, She said that it was important that we moved away from language that focused on physical characteristics or sex characteristics and talked about um, same gender attraction. And I thought that that was dismissive of same sex attraction. And um, my sister is a lesbian and, and I'm concerned about some of the language that gender ideology uses that potentially erases same sex attraction. So I asked a question at the end and um, and actually used some of the phrasing that the speaker had encouraged to, us to use during the presentation, which was when confronted with something that we didn't agree with, we were to use statements such as I'm uncomfortable with that. So I actually said I'm uncomfortable with, with some of the stuff that you've said in the presentation um, and told her that my sister was a lesbian and asked if she thought that lesbians as a group should be willing to accept male people with penises as sexual partners if they identify as women. And the speaker said that saying male was part of the problem. um, And it was interesting that I focused on penis because it was part of a narrative that trans women are a threat to cisgender women. And I said that I, I, I simply thought that it was that she was same sex attracted. And the speaker said that, um, it isn't how the word is used these days. It isn't how young people use the word. And I reiterated my view that I thought that it, it got rid of same-sex attraction. Um, and 
said that if if she was saying that lesbians should consider having a relationship with someone that is male bodied and and I noted that that she might disagree with the use of that term um but I said that it, it seemed a little bit problematic to me anyway it was a very short interaction I think that I was polite I was fairly robust but it was a, a polite and respectful interaction and then that was the end of the meeting and I subsequently received a letter from the deputy chief executive a week later um, telling me that my behaviour uh, was inappropriate, offensive. Um, I had inappropriately challenged the, the speaker and that um, she was reminding me of, of uh, requirements in the code of conduct. Um, she also told me that other people had been shocked and offended by my use of language and it was particularly focused around my use of um, male-bodied after the speaker had explained that language like that is inappropriate and offensive. And so really this uh, entire interaction that you end up having with a very senior member of uh, your ministry, the deputy chief executive, so a senior Wellington bureaucrat, it comes down to the fact that you use the word male-bodied to refer to transgender women she said, uh, the the presenter said, look, that's part of the problem. And then you had the audacity later on in your question to repeat that term again. And so it was really one repetition and that was it. You you had shocked the room. Did any of your colleagues come up to you? I I know that there was reference to others there being, uh, I think um, they were uh, shocked and offended. Uh, Did anyone raise this with you? Is this something that that you realised you had done? Uh, No, no no one mentioned it to me. So I'm not sure how many people were shocked and offended. It wasn't something that anyone talked to me about afterwards. Right. And so then uh, you received this letter. And at this point, um, you, you came to us and you said, look, I've, I've received this letter. I think it's a, an inappropriate commentary on my speech. I don't feel like uh, I am be my, my right to speech has been respected here. And, and frankly, as I read through it, uh, some has said this is a dramatic term, but I commented to the team here, this, this is something you'd expect to read straight out of Orwell. You know, the way that she was reflecting on uh, your use of a single term and, and the supposed impact and effect of that, apparently uh, that this was really the worst thing you could have said. So we went from there and and, and what was the next step in, in this story? Uh, well, I drafted a response to the Deputy Chief Executive and you also uh, sent a letter on behalf of Free Speech Union, which I am grateful for. And then we had a meeting with the Deputy Chief Executive and, and this, is, this is something that, that we, we do from time to time, where we try and sit down with employers and, and moderate and, and, and mediate the, the speech that is being used. But um, what was your impression of the meeting? How, how did, did you feel like that was a, a success for all those involved? Uh, not, not exactly, Jonathan. She, she was insistent that other people had been uh, offended and shocked by me, my behaviour. Um, I think there was... I still can't quite understand whether it was my use of the word word male-bodied per se or my repeated use of the word male after the presenter had said that that using that term was a problem. Um, I think during the meeting she wanted to suggest that it was the latter, that, that given that the presenter had said that she didn't like that word, the onus was on me not to use it. 
despite it being a factually correct term, one that's actually used by the Human Rights Commission in its description of trans women, and one that actually many trans women um, say that they are. They they that's what they're transing from, and and many trans women recognize and are, and are happy to say that they are and remain male-bodied. During the meeting, you referenced the fact that uh, trans women are exactly transitioning from various states and, and some remain fully intact while some have gone uh, extent, under, undergone extensive surgery and, and uh, are f- far more similar to biological women at that point as well. And that this is something they often um, identify with them with themselves. Something that you repeated in the meeting was the fact that we are discussing realities here, that this isn't really a, a, a disputable point in many ways. For some trans women, they are still male-bodied and, and that isn't to undermine or deny the identity that they, they assume for themselves. It is simply to recognize anatomical biological realities. Um, what impact do you think your speech being compelled to use uh, just the term transgender woman or just woman opposed to male-bodied or, or really any other iteration there, what impact do you think that has on the way we perceive this conversation, this really important conversation that our society is having at the moment and, and the way we reflect on simply the facts that exist within this discussion? I, I think it's really important. I think that language is important, which is why certain people want to curtail use of certain terms because they are so important in in telling a, a narrative. I think that if we continually hear and are asked to repeat the mantra, trans women are women, trans men are men, then it becomes natural to, to think, should um, lesbians be consider uh, having sexual relationships with with trans women yes of course they're women should trans women be uh, moved to female prisons yes of course they're women should they be in in family violence refuges that are set up for women yes of course they're women and so I think it's in it's it it's important that we sometimes when talking about policy talk about the reality of the situation, because I think that when you actually talk about male-bodied people competing in women's sports or going into women's prisons, it requires a little bit more thought about what that actually means, in what circumstances should that happen. And so I think it's really important that that certainly, it, well, in all areas, but particularly for policymakers, that, that we talk about the reality of the situation and not just repeat mantras. What I found uh, really concerning in the meeting that we had as we sat down with the deputy chief executive was the fact that, uh, you know, understandably, the, the meeting we were having was not about transgender rights. It was it was not about the, the substance of the discussion or the presentation that you had been in, but it was about your conduct. And, and, and that made sense. But what I found really concerning was the fact that she kept on saying that the, the fact that you refused to assume the language that had been prescribed for you really means that you were unacceptably rude to a guest and that you had shocked and offended your colleagues, completely failing to in any way concede that uh, to control the language is to control the discussion. And so as someone who, um, I I don't know exactly where you sit on this, but but perhaps identifies more as a traditional feminist, um, in what way do you feel like the, the controlling of language actually limits the way that you can 
make your arguments and you can actually present a case that uh, the alternative view is is not uh, what it, what it's uh, made out to be. You know, this is the essence of free speech where competing ideas can sit down and reason together and may still walk away disagreeing, but have at least presented um, legitimate arguments. Whereas if one side controls the other, how is that possible? Well, ab- absolutely. I think that if you are required to use the language and the framing of one side, then it automatically determines the outcome of that discussion. I think it's important that people can use the language that they think best reflects the underlying reality of, of their underlying truth. And I, I just to clarify, I don't think that there's anything pejorative or rude or disrespectful in the language that I used. I, I don't think that that was the even potentially the issue that the deputy chief executive had, although I'm sure she thinks the language in itself is rude, but that wasn't the case that she was making. She was saying that if somebody else asked me not to use particular words, then I should not use them. And I think that that's not appropriate in a policymaking setting or in many other settings, actually. I think it's important that we use language that reflects the reality of the situation so that we can discuss the what that actually means in, in practice. I think that it changes our, our framing of the of the discussion. And I also think I, I, I very much appreciate that there's, that there's two issues here which are colliding, which is that about the, 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 the general debate about trans rights and women's rights and also about free speech. But in, in this issue, I think it's it's quite hard to separate them because um, the deputy chief executive was making the case that if, if somebody said something was, was problematic, then I needed to change my language. But I think, I suspect that she would only have said that in a case like this. I'm not sure she would have talk, asked me to use my language if a speaker talking about any other issue had had said that my language was not appropriate. I, I, I can't imagine any other situation apart from a, a, a heightened, potentially toxic situation like this debate being asked to change my language like that. So I, I think the two things are, are very much connected. And of course, the, the, the Public Service Commission has, has come down fairly clearly on one side of this debate by issuing a, a, a recommendation that public servants put pronouns in their emails, for example. And, and during the meeting, you referenced um, an organization in the United Kingdom, Stonewall, which um, also engages at a similar level uh, as Inside Out in, in advocating for transgender rights and such. Um, and, and, and really a stated aim for them is to shut down the conversation, isn't it? It's to say no debates. And, and, and to an extent, you can see what they're saying. They're saying we're not up for discussion, we we exist, and, and you have to respect that. And and to an extent, that is correct. But but to then say we exist, and you have to respect that, and you have to change the way you live and the way you speak. That that's a very different um, uh, step, then, isn't it? Did you feel um, either with the presentation from inside out, uh, or with the deputy chief executive, that really there was a space for reasonable minds to differ on this, and for a discussion to emerge? Well, I think there is. Of course, there is, and I and I, I. This debate is so difficult because we are encouraged. For example, Stonewall in the UK, its um, its social media modus operandi was to use the hashtag No Debate to to just not get involved in any discussions about this. Trans women are women. No debate, 
Um, and they frame any questioning, any deviation from that line as being hateful per se. And, and that's another technique that that you that organizations that don't want to discuss what the implications of trans women are women mean for all sorts of different female spaces, female sports competitions and so on, is to automatically paint the person who's raising questions as, as being hateful, as coming from a, a place of, they, they just assume bad faith on the person who's asking it, which is a very effective way of shutting down any discussion as well, because who wants to be seen as hateful? I don't think that I'm hateful. I don't think that I am hateful in, in any way to, to trans people. I, I, I have huge sympathy for somebody who feels that they, um, they dislike their sex body to such an extent that they suffer from gender dysphoria. That must that must be really an, an awful thing. I, I, I don't hate those people, but I think that it's important that we recognise the reality of the situation that we're dealing with. And just because they think that they are in the wrong body or have a, a, a gender identity that trumps sexual sex-based reality, I, I don't need to share that view. I, I can be sympathetic to it, but I don't need to share it. So I think that that the way that this debate is being framed is is to assume that everybody is on the other side is is hateful and coming from a place of, of bad faith and i think that's really unhelpful in um policy discussions i think this is an important conversation particularly for for those of us who have uh engaged in the public service before what do you think is the path forward for uh, advisors and 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 bureaucrats within the public service who uh who feel that their speech has been stifled on this issue and and perhaps other issues as well i really don't know jonathan i mean the reason that that i felt able to attend the meeting in the first place and then to respond to the letter that i received afterwards was because i knew that i was leaving the organisation. So it's very difficult for me to suggest to other people that they should do something similar because if I was still working there and had received that letter, I think that I would have, it, it, it had a, a big chilling effect. I, I, I mean, I, I knew that I had upset some very senior people in the ministry and that's not a great career move. So I'm not quite sure what advice I would have to other people. But I, I think it's important to recognise that that lots of people think like me firstly that there is a discussion to be had more generally Jonathan it's, it's very difficult to have these discussions I, I, just let me provide a little bit more background on this um, in late 2020 the ministry that I worked for had an internal survey about how employees felt about the ministry it's a regular um, survey and it scored quite badly on one of the questions, which was, I feel safe to tell the truth, even if it's unpopular. So they subsequently had another, another survey to dig a little bit more deeply into that and find out why. I made some comments in that about being concerned about the, the note that had come down from the Public Service Commission and had been endorsed by the senior leadership team at the ministry about using pronouns in emails. And I said that I, I had some problems with that. I thought that it was regressive I thought that it was sexist and I, and I think ultimately gender ideology is homophobic and um, my my comments weren't reflected in the the final report that was published within the ministry and so I actually asked the chief executive if if it would be okay if I sent him my comments and he said yes and I did and my my email was 
I think, very polite, very respectful. I explained why um, I had been unable to raise these, these issues because of the backlash that potentially people get when they talk about these things. And it was a, an example exactly of, of why I didn't feel safe to tell the truth, even if it's unpopular, which was the question that, that the ministry had scored badly on. Now, I didn't get a reply to that. So it does seem as though there isn't any forum that's appropriate to raise these questions. So it is very difficult to have these discussions in a, in a polite and respectful way if, if they are either ignored or we are told that the language that we use is inappropriate. It's, it's very limiting. And I think this is what, what people in lots of different countries are finding. Whatever words they use, they're told that they're inappropriate. Whatever tone they use, my tone was mentioned in the, in the meeting that we had, as you know, Jonathan, and, and I don't think that there was anything wrong with my tone. I'm not quite sure how I could have said it. I was polite. It was a calm interaction. And, and people are told that their tone is, is wrong. If only you'd said it more kindly. If only you'd used different words, we would have listened. And, and, it, and it puts people in a position where there's very few words and very few ways of saying things that are deemed acceptable. You know, going back to, to what you were saying around deeming anyone who disagrees with you as, as hateful, um, it's the ultimate trump card. And, and, and that's the really... Um, uh, perverse implication of of thinking through this way you know uh, as as i joined you in that meeting i genuinely don't believe that the deputy chief executive or the staff that accompanied her in that meeting uh were intentionally trying to shut down the conversation or intentionally trying to curtail your speech they were operating out of what they thought was um a, a moral position to be commenting from but uh i don't think that in any way limits the the negative impact that that compelling speech can have you know she she really didn't didn't intend to and, and she didn't believe she had curtailed your free speech but but just because she didn't reflect on that and just because she didn't see that you weren't being hateful, that that doesn't stop you from feeling very um, censored. And and I I, I think uh, we need to really reflect on how censorship occurs. Very rarely does it um, come from a a blatant ban that's across the board. You will not use these terms. You will you will hold this position. Far more commonly, it is it is a subtle word here. It's a it's a it's a comment there from a manager or a colleague. And like you said, it's very difficult when you when you're trying to pursue a career going forward to to stand up and oppose a deputy chief executive. That that is obviously a poor strategic move. And and so I think it, it, this is an ongoing conversation that we need to continue to encourage uh, for. You know, I think just as a leader and as someone who's trying to promote um, a, a better culture in a space, it's crucial that you allow people to um, to to contribute from their authentic selves. And and that's obviously not the case that's been happening here. So this is a conversation that we would like to continue. If if there are any other public servants who are listening to this, who have similar stories that they would like to discuss with us or situations that they're going through where they feel the free speech union would be able to assist with this isn't about point scoring. It's not a political agenda. It's just about ensuring that whatever perspective you hold or share, you're able to contribute that to the wider discussion, because that's really how these conversations move forward and, and how we resolve them. But I, I really appreciate your time today. Um, all the best going forward in your next venture. Um, while, while you may be finished in the public service here in Wellington, I'm sure you'll do a fantastic job and that you will be able to continue to contribute to discussions uh, in other forums. So all the best. 
And thank you. And thank you for your assistance, Jonathan. Thanks for listening to the Free Speech Union podcast. If you would like to learn more about us or find out how you can get involved or support, you can head on over to fsu.nz or check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Ka kite anō.